we make the choices in our lives um, and having that control over your own life is so important um, and I never really fully understood that having the control over your own life made such a difference. It was born from um, a tragic time in my life but actually Cameo wouldn't be here if I hadn't gone through what I did. I am a survivor of domestic abuse myself. Coming up six years ago, um, I came extremely close to losing my life. If I can change one person's life, or even you know, especially save lives, then I'll continue to do what I'm doing. It has defined my life, but defined me in a good way, because it's taught me to be so much more resilient. It's taught me to fight for things that you believe in. I'm much braver now than I was before. I think going through what I went through where I experienced emotional and physical abuse um, and living through that and still being here to tell my story as such, um, it empowers me. Welcome to another episode of the Business Takeaway podcast. If this is your first episode, do please go and find our previous ones to hear some great guests. If you're subscribers to the pod and a regular listener, thanks for joining for another show. Today's guest is Sharon Livermore. Sharon is the owner and director of Cameo Recruitment in Cambridge, and Sharon talks to us today about the world of recruitment, the challenges of recruiting in and out of COVID, and also the new expectations of staff in a post-COVID world. It's really interesting to hear how things have changed in such times and try and understand what the new norms will be. Sharon also talks to us today about the subject of domestic abuse. Being a domestic abuse survivor, Sharon now campaigns globally for businesses to adopt policies to help their staff if they should find themselves in such a position. We'll hear her story and her support for anyone who might be going through this at this time. However, for now, sit back and enjoy an hour or so with Sharon Livermore. Welcome to another episode of the Business Takeaway podcast, and we're delighted to be um, joined today by Sharon Livermore, who is the owner and director uh, and a specialist consultant, as she just told me, of Cameo Recruitment. Um, Cameo Recruitment was formed in 2018 in Cambridge, the Cambridge area. Um, there's lots to talk about uh, recruitment, and there's lots to talk to Sharon about um, other work that she's involved in, which is uh, which is going to be fascinating to talk to in, in lots of different ways, I'm, I'm sure. And I think hopefully some people will get something out of it if, if they find themselves in similar situations. But we'll come on to that in a bit later. Um, but before we get too far, Sharon, do you want to tell us a little bit of back, background to you, who you are? Um, I, I refuse from doing the Silla Black, who you are, what you, what's your name, where you come from sort of type thing. But do you want to give us a bit of a background to that? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me um, to speak to you. So, um, as you said, I'm Sharon Livermore. Um, I have worked in recruitment for 10 years. I don't know where the time's gone, but 10 years have flown by. I worked for a different agency or previous agency um, for six years and then set up Cameo Recruitment in 2018 after having some maternity leave. Um, I decided at that point to set up my own um, business and obviously I know we are going to go into a bit more detail of the reasons why, um, but my journey has seen me work with huge corporate clients right through to the smaller one-man bands that need their first recruit. Um, also, I suppose on the other side of it, the candidates that I work with, they really vary 
as well. So it could be someone that's starting their career right the way through to somebody that's looking for um, the next career step, really. So um, my journey has been interesting. It's been exciting and no two days are the same, which is what I love about recruitment. Uh, and I suppose the uh, the challenge behind recruitment at this moment in time is the last 18 months, um, you know, everyone on these coming on this podcast has been affected some way by COVID, right? Uh, yeah. And how coming, how how has recruitment worked in COVID times when, you know, everyone's gone on to furlough or majority of people have gone on to furlough? How's that all worked? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, COVID threw a lot of challenges overnight into the recruitment world. And I think from speaking to other agency owners, um, every challenge is or has been different depending on the sector that you work in. We work in the commercial sector, so we're working with people that are based in offices predominantly, um, you know, sales, marketing, HR, but they all Prior to COVID, most of the time we're based in offices. Um, I think COVID at the time, obviously recruitment came to a complete stop overnight. We had um, boards full of jobs. We were on our way, on our mission to kind of grow Cameo. We were only coming up to a year or two years old at that point. So we were still fairly new. Um, And it was a big shock. I think what we did with that was took the situation and worked out what we could do. So our focus at that very start of it was to keep our name out there we didn't want to disappear under the radar as such so we really focused on the social media we're doing and the extra work that I do which again I know we will speak about um in terms of recruitment it changed and it has continued to change in the sense of um people are now working from home as we know so um, requirements from people have changed and they continue to do so hybrid working is one of the top things that candidates are looking for um but also the interview process Zoom, who knew what Zoom was really? Teams, all of these different platforms that we now use to help us in the recruitment process. They've really um, reinvented the wheel, I think, in terms of people being able to pop out at lunchtime. I shouldn't say that because we all assume that everyone's going to stay in their jobs. Um, But they can just pop out at lunchtime and, you know, hop onto a Zoom and do a first stage interview. And then if they're successful, they will then go into the workplace because more people are returning to work. But I do feel it's allowed people more options um, in the interview process. Um, But challenges, yeah, there's always challenges in every business. But COVID definitely, I think, threw a lot of challenges up overnight, as we know. So um, people have learned a lot from it as well, I think. That's the biggest thing I would say. It's not all been negative, which is what I think a lot of people assumed at first. It's looking at the positive things that we can take away. And are you finding um, people are coming to you? You touched on it a little bit. Are you finding, you know, people come to you say that, you know, I want this much money, I want this, I want this car, I want this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Are you finding that work from home is now one of those sort of non-negotiable, not not non-negotiables, but negotiables? Yeah, absolutely. I think um it has proved that a lot of people can do their jobs remotely. Um there is two sides to it. I think there are a lot of people that potentially have got a bit misunderstood or misunderstand what hybrid working is. So a lot of people want to do what they think is hybrid working, but actually it's looking after their children at home um, as well and not having childcare. Now I've got three children. Don't get me wrong. That's not me saying that that shouldn't happen, but you still need to be able to give the hours to the workplace. Um, I think flexibility is key. So being able to do your hours when you want to do your hours, but you still need to be able to do those hours. Um, Otherwise, it's not fair on the person that potentially doesn't have those commitments. So there's a lot of questions and a lot of conversations going on in the business world. We actually held a really fascinating webinar um, a few weeks ago um, where we actually 
discuss the whole topic of hybrid working, the challenges, the um, the good side. And obviously, we all know what the good side is. The, the work-life balance is much better. We are at home. We don't have to travel into the office. That gives us more free time. A lot of people like it because they can get their head down and they can just get on with their work. But on the other side of it, a lot of people don't like it. So me, myself being a sociable person, I much prefer to be in an office with other people around me. So people's requirements are changing, but I think it's understanding that what one person wants isn't going to be the same as someone else. So the clients we're working with, they're really embracing that and they're looking at each job on a case-by-case basis and looking at what will work for that job. But then if it works for that job, it's got to be consistent with other members of the team as well. So um, or people that are doing similar roles within the business. But it's definitely um, a requirement that I think is is up there alongside salary at the moment. It's interesting because I've I've recruited uh, during the COVID time. uh, I recruited three staff and it was interesting you commenting about, you know, doing the first interviews the three staff I recruited I never met face to face when I recruited them which yeah. was you know and I'm a big body language reader and all I was reading we're looking at each other on zoom this isn't recording on them um, yeah it's not audio we're looking at you know but you're only getting the audio but we're looking at the top half but when I when I first met them I was like I don't know how tall they are are they going to be five foot <laughs> are they going to be five foot six or are they going to be seven foot and actually the, one of the guys was about six foot six so I was like yeah, oh, yeah I think you're probably going to be quite tall um but it's all those things but I think um I think it's us as employers is it's an interesting one for us to turn around the pro everything around because I think before the business I work in has is very this is the way to do it this is the way to do it this is the way to do it and that interview process has various formalities that expect you to yes. do which you can't do so when you get to these tick lists it's like well how do we do that one because we can't do this and this we can't show them around this we can't ask them yeah. these sorts of things and it's been a really interesting one for the business to adapt to as much Absolutely. as the people um yeah and 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 i don't know whether that's how the you had some quicker moving ones or some businesses are still like no we've got to see them face to face i think yeah it has been very much dependent on the business um one of the businesses that i work with regularly um they continued they were pretty much key workers throughout the um the covid pandemic and they had to adapt their processes extremely quickly um and like i say it went very quiet in recruitment probably for about for myself for about four weeks and then all of a sudden it ramped up in certain sectors and they were all virtual. Everything was virtual. People were onboarding virtually, even to the point where um, I was driving and picking up laptops and things and taking them to one of my clients to help them out because they were so busy. Um, And obviously they needed the key workers to work, but they were trying to keep things as safe as possible. So I had to adapt as well in the way that the processes worked. Um, Other clients, if I'm honest, who haven't recruited through the pandemic um, have found it slightly harder. And I think the onboarding process is the thing that people need to get right. We can all have a conversation as we are today um, and you get a feel for somebody, obviously, and you can make your judgments. You can ask the right questions. Um, But once you've offered that person a job, if you're onboarding remotely, it can be terrifying for the candidate if they're not supported, if they don't know what the process is, what the induction process looks like, um, how they'll receive training. That's when it goes wrong. But I'm really pleased to say the clients that I work with have worked very closely um, with myself and with their internal HR teams to make sure that people are supported. And as a recruiter, we always check in. We don't just put people in jobs and disappear. We do make sure that they're settled, but we've done that even more so than normal. 
and probably been a bit of a sounding board, um, especially at the start of the pandemic, to make sure that things are going smoothly, where tweaks are needed, they've been done. Um, but it has taught people a lot. It's taught everybody a lot. I think if you actually take a step back and look at um, the things that we now use, um, you know, to be talking to you today and recording this on Zoom, if you'd have asked me two years ago, I would have gone, what? I don't understand. What are we doing? You know, and I, you know, I like to think that I do embrace technology, but the new things that people are using has definitely made it much easier for a lot of situations. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, the guys who we've onboarded, you know, they, they didn't actually meet us all for the first month. So <laughs> everything was literally sort of like Zoom and other systems that other systems yeah. are available and things like that. Are you finding that people are filling, are you filling roles quicker because of, you know, you haven't, it's much more, everyone's at home a bit more and things like that. Is that, is that speed, sped up? Um, yeah, I think so. Being able to organise first stage interviews is much quicker because you can give them much more, more many options, shall we say, that fit in with their life as well. Um, in terms of making the offers and getting people um, into positions, I I think then most companies now are going back to a second stage interview in the office just so that people can get a feel for the culture but then they are offering some kind of hybrid working a lot of them as well so I think yeah the thing is it, it has changed um, and people's requirements have changed but businesses are moving with them. Um, what are the challenges now we're coming out of Covid what are the biggest challenges in recruitment sort of going forward? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. At the moment, it's a lack of candidates in the marketplace. Um, it has been like that um, for us. I would say, I mean, time flies, doesn't it? You like to say it a week ago, it was much longer than that. Um, you know, I think we're probably looking at around four or five months now. It has been a challenge for certain areas. Um, we have a lot of kind of entry level positions and we're really struggling to get people um, to fill those opportunities. Um, we're having to think outside the box a bit more and our clients are having to work with us. So prior to COVID or even at the start of the pandemic, as we know, a lot of people were made redundant. So almost employers had the opportunity to have a lot of um, different candidates that they could explore with. Whereas now it's a case of we've got you one candidate. They're really good. You need to see them. So we're pushing companies to move quicker where they can so they don't lose the candidates but also for, can, um, for the clients to think outside the box, they're not necessarily going to get that person that ticks a lot of the boxes that they're looking for. Um, and it is good. I think, you know, the relationships that we have with our clients, a lot of our clients do understand. They take our guidance and they work with us. So my personal biggest client um, looks for a certain type of skill set. We can't find that at the moment. So we're thinking outside the box. We're giving them different people and they're still recruiting, but they're just having to put more time into training, potentially, some of these people. But then that's the choice the business needs to make. Do they need to recruit now or can they wait and see what the market does? But who knows what that will do? Um, there's a lot of talk within the recruitment world of um, the great resignation, as they're calling it, happening, um, where I think people are thinking this is likely to be sort of January, February next year. We get through the end of this year. We all know this year has been a bit of a bumpy ride still with lockdowns and people's expectations at the start of the year that everything was going to just return to normal and it hasn't. Um, so a lot of people potentially are sitting comfortably in the businesses they're working for they know their job's secure at the moment um, and they're rising it out but we all know Christmas New Year a lot of people say what did I achieve this year what do I want next year out of my life it's just one of those times that people do 
take to assess where they're at. Um, and if that is the case, then potentially there will be more candidates coming to market um, early next year. I was going to ask what the biggest reason for people not moving, or you know, you're seeing you're seeing less candidates. Is it people basically going, I've had a rocky eighteen months. I feel, you know, I might want to move, might not want to move, but actually, yeah. I feel a bit safe where I am, and I don't want to rock the boat. Yeah, I think the majority of people, you know, we have bills to pay, um, and if your company has got through COVID um, and are in a position that you do feel confident that your job is safe, for example, that's a really big important factor um, for people that they have that stability. So prior to COVID, it was a case of I've got stability, but I want a new challenge. A lot of people are sort of thinking I'm going to stay put and just ride it out. I think it's been a tough time on everybody in one way or another whether that be personally professionally but everyone's had some kind of impact and I think just getting to the end of this year um, and enjoying Christmas and hopefully we can do that with friends and family um, and having some kind of normality is just what people want and then I think people will reassess and will take the time to think about what's really important to them because people's requirements now probably different to what people wanted before COVID so it's for people to take that time to really assess what they need and what they want as well but it's definitely a challenge for a recruiter that's looking for candidates (laughs) so hopefully there will be some movement and people will um, start moving so that the skills can be passed around because fresh ideas coming into a business is what's needed a lot of the time as well. It's interesting, actually, because one of the earlier recordings of the podcast um, with Ian Mather from Cambridge United, I talked to him and he was talking about transferable skills. He, he's the CEO of the football club from being a lawyer. right? And one of his interesting things was that he feels that transferable skills are the thing for going forward for businesses. You know, um, I've worked, as I said on the podcast then, I, I've worked in the same sector for 20 years. But I've got, you know, I still work in sales. I still do bits of marketing. I still do that, which is actually transferable to many businesses. But I think everyone's got so used to it, to the actual sector. And I think he was sort of saying, well, actually, people can move. If you're good at one job, you could be good at the other. But I think you were saying the shortness of people in, in the world, we might have to be seeing changes from businesses to do that, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think um, it, transferable skills are very, very important. I've always worked on that basis. And even before COVID, um, I was a strong believer in moving across into different industries. I didn't go into recruitment until I was 30. Um, And now I own Cameo Recruitment. So, you know, if I hadn't been given that opportunity myself, um, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. And I think you can't change someone's personality. You don't want to change someone's personality, but people have those skills that are unique to them. And if you can really embrace those skills and use them in the right position then you're giving people opportunities but you're also potentially securing fantastic recruits um, and new um, employees into the business so transferable skills are a must we've just recruited funnily enough um via zoom we haven't actually met the next person that's coming to join us and um, she's going to be joining us um in january we're not sure on date yet but she's actually in south africa we haven't even met her <laughs> um, it's all been done via zoom she works in sales she's never done recruitment and um, we had to think outside the box um as well because you know even in the recruitment industry there's not hundreds of people moving around so we looked at transferable skills we looked at um the people that fitted with our culture as well which is really important and you know we did it completely differently before covid i would never have even considered doing that but it's opened up my eyes and i'm really excited about the person that we've got joining us um bringing some new fresh ideas from a different sector as well 
It's it's very interesting on that, and, and I think it's I think the fresh ideas is key, especially after COVID, yeah. where everyone's perhaps a bit. I think I heard the phrase COVID fatigue, which I can yes. sort of co completely relate to. Although yeah. I enjoy working from home, I'm also a bit sick of these four walls occasionally. Yeah, so in time. Um, where does I? I mean, I you know I see on LinkedIn all the time. Let's for example, I get loads of people going on oh, LinkedIn. Look at you know somebody comes and says, "Oh, I found you on LinkedIn." Can how how does LinkedIn now work? You know. LinkedIn five, 10 years ago wasn't there. So you get a phone yes. call, you fax if you're going back really years. But <laughs> how does link the places like LinkedIn and yeah. things help or, or does it actually hinder a recruitment process? No, no, no. Um, LinkedIn's fantastic. Um, in terms of recruitment, I think it does depend on the kind of role that you're recruiting for. So if we're recruiting for um, an administrator, for example, and you know, administration skills, a lot of people have them. So LinkedIn isn't so useful for us for that because um, it's more for us to get to know the person and then see culturally where they'll fit and what type of business they'll fit in. However, LinkedIn is fantastic for um, roles that have specific skill sets, shall we say as well. So I know that Dan, our sales and marketing um, recruiter, he is all over LinkedIn. He searches on LinkedIn, he finds people, he feels the majority of his jobs are from people that he will find on LinkedIn and building those relationships. Um, I would say IT and engineering. So Diane, who does our IT and engineering, she uses LinkedIn quite a bit to find people as well. Um, but it's a fantastic tool. It, it, gives you an insight into people it allows people to search for you um and it just puts people out there as well so i know on linkedin you can put if you're actively looking for jobs nobody else can see it but obviously if you're searching um so it does it definitely helps in the market and it's been interesting to to watch it because i started as i say 10 years ago and i didn't really use linkedin at the start but more so especially with the pandemic we really focused on our social media and i've made some great um headway with the other aspects that i do within my day-to-day -day job from linkedin and i've made some fantastic connections so um, i'm definitely a big linkedin supporter i i love it as a platform i, I get a bit sick of some of the email or the private messages i get yes. from people <laughs> I, the sector i work in a lot of manufacturing takes place in china and every day i get somebody yeah. saying i want to i want to sell you these lights it's like that doesn't quite how it works because that's not what i need <laughs> but it, i i understand it but i think it's also important that for me it's about the image you put across on linkedin as well isn't yes. it? it depend you know but i'm very conscious of what i put across and how i come across and even if i'm not looking for a job then I still want people to, people might just see me and go, oh, he, he posts good stuff. Or you might not, that's being modest, but, um, post <laughs> I'm sure they do. <laughs> but, um, and, and then that comes across and then you just, it just comes up. And then if you make that yes. contact later, it's, 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 it's an interesting thing. Um, uh, moving slightly on, you've touched on it a couple of times and, and, and let's, let's, let's get into it. The, um, cameo, the history behind cameo, uh, and what yep. you found it. And I know the little bit of history. Do you want to explain why it's called what it is? And then absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about the subject and, and we'll see how it flows through. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I set up Cameo, as we know, in 2018 um, to not only recruit, but to use the platform to raise awareness of domestic abuse and talk about other subjects that really um, support employee well-being. Um, the reason I did that is that I'm a survivor of domestic abuse myself. Coming up six years ago, um, I came extremely close to losing my life. And I think at that point, it made me realise that um, I just had a different outlook on life. I know people go through different situations and they say it changes them. It made me realise that I'm very fortunate. I am one of the lucky ones. I still have a voice. Um, and unfortunately, as we know, a lot of people lose their lives and don't have that voice. So I chose to 
set up Cameo to really be able to empower businesses um, specifically to make a change and support um, victims that are going through domestic abuse and really get people talking about it so that people are more aware of what abuse is, what it looks like and how to help. Um, so yeah, Cameo was born. Cameo's name is a, a mixture of my three children's names. So we have Jamie, Kieran and Leo. Um, Kieran, obviously the K at the start, he's super proud to tell everyone that he's the favourite child because the K is at the start. <laughs> I'm not sure the other team would agree with him. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it was born from um, a tragic time in my life. But actually, Cameo wouldn't be here if I hadn't gone through what I did because it gave me the courage to, to actually do something that I wanted to do um, and it's been an amazing journey obviously we're now three and a half years old um, I have to look at the look at the calendar there to see um, but three and a half years old um, and obviously we've had many challenges with Covid but I know again as you say we touched on it Covid has allowed me to do a lot more work on the domestic abuse um, side of things as well which has been fantastic. I, I had a good look around the website and researching for the interview and things like that. And um, the, obviously you've done a lot of work with various charities. Um, you've also got Sharon's policy, um, which is on your website as well. Yes. Um, do you want to talk about the work firstly with the charities uh, and then we yeah. can talk a bit about Sharon's policy and then also how that can work in any place. You know, this hopefully the podcast will be listened by multiple different people in different yes. sectors and, and how that can all sort of tie in together. Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I first started my journey with Cameo, I wanted to um, to give back. I knew that was something that was really um, at the core of, of me and the business. So I started off on my first day of setting up Cameo on the doorstep of Cambridge Women's Age with a bag of um, biscuits and coffee um, for their freedom programme. At that point, obviously, I hadn't made any money, so I couldn't do anything financial, really, apart from that. And um I remember the words they said to me, you haven't even made any money, Sharon. This is your first day. What are you doing? And I said, no, but this is what is inbuilt in the business. And I didn't know at that point where the business was going to go. But I knew that that was something that meant a lot to me. So I started working with Cambridge Women's Aid. We did our first seminar in November 2019, um, which was aimed at local businesses to learn about what domestic abuse is um the signs to look for and that was really well received and um, the plan was obviously to continue doing that but then covid hit so our next one was supposed to be in the may and obviously in the march um we all know that the world changed so it came to stop it, it got cancelled at which point i wasn't prepared for it to stop so um i reached out and made a lot of connections um the da alliance the domestic abuse alliance who i am a campaigner for that was born from the first seminar because they came to it and that i suppose relationship it, it really did evolve um and during covid i was able to have more meetings with them and really kind of get to know them a bit more and understand what they were doing off the back of that as well i then got partnered with the employers initiative on domestic abuse um, and became an ambassador for them which was such a huge moment for me um because they basically do what i was doing but on a huge scale, they work with Vodafone, they work with Goldman Sachs, they work with, you know, really big companies as well as smaller ones. Um, 
And when I realized that actually there was so much synergy between what I was doing and what they were doing, it just made sense. The fit was perfect. So um, throughout COVID, I did many presentations, um, webinars online um, where I spoke alongside the CEO of IDA. I spoke on behalf of the GA Alliance to businesses, small and big, that wanted to, to learn more. Um, I even spoke to China on one occasion, um, which was, you know, for me, it was a really big opportunity. But when I talk, I talk about my own experience experience and I think that's what makes it different I talk about how I was impacted in the workplace um, and how it felt for me and actually that's what people then kind of get an understanding of you know I'm a recruitment consultant I was a recruitment consultant when it happened to me I talk a lot um, which is why I love doing the job I do um, but actually there were so many signs in the workplace of what was going on but no one in the workplace that I was at was educated enough to understand and say are you okay or recognize those signs um so yeah there was been a lot of work on that but off the back of that Sharon's policy was born which was the most amazing piece of work I've ever been involved in um the DA Alliance Ida um HR Depth who are consultants across the UK we all came together the reason for this was where I've been educating businesses, the businesses are really happy to listen, they're happy to understand and learn. But then they were saying to me, well, what do we do now? And I was like, okay, actually, yeah, well, what do you need to do now? You need to have a policy, because we all know businesses need to have policies so that everyone can follow them and understand where their limitations are. Um, but then a lot of the businesses I was speaking to were saying, well, we don't have the finances to go and spend thousands on a policy. So that's where Sharon's policy was created. It's a free policy. It's been legally checked and backed by Hogan Lovells, who are a global, global law firm. Um, so it's basically a template policy. You have the pages, the two pages, which are the legal part, shall we say, that need to go into the policy book. And then we have the guidance notes that I've written alongside the DA Alliance, um, which give different, I suppose, different things that different businesses can do. I totally understand that a small business can't give you know, three months of unpaid leave, for example. But what they can do is take the next of kin off as the, um, or the perpetrator off as the next of kin, for example. All of these things that people wouldn't have even thought about. So there's um, things that don't cost money. There's things that need flexibility, but they are aimed at every business of every size being able to take this policy and actually implement, but make it work for them. It, I, I had a read through and it, it, it's an amazing piece of work and, and the work you do is absolutely incredible on it and Thank highly you. commended. Obviously, it, on the flip side, you hope you'd never have gone through it, but the work to now to come, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You sort of say, yeah. well done for everything you've done, but sorry for what yeah, happened. Yeah, I think but... it is looking at it in that way. I think um, the way I look at it is it has defined my life but defined me in a good way because it's taught me to be so much more resilient. It's taught me to fight for things that you believe in and actually um, people will listen. And I've made so many amazing friends um, and colleagues and things just from this, the situation that I lived through. Um, and I think that's what I try and empower people to do is take a, a negative and turn it into a positive and when you wake up in the morning it might sound a bit um cliche but you make that decision when you wake up to either make a difference or 
be negative and I always try and see the positive it's not always easy as we know um, you know we all have our moments but if you can look at it like that it definitely helps drive you forward and when you get the feedback from people I know I've saved lives um from what I've done I've had people that have contacted me afterwards and said I was in a really bad situation I managed to get the support I needed um so yeah if I can change one person's life or even you know especially save lives then I'll continue to doing what I'm doing I think um, one of the things that's come across in all the interviews that I've done so far is the human side of the, um, people. And I think yes. it's been a real, not eye-opener, I suppose, but uh, it was an eye-opener because I thought people so far would be like, oh, this is my business, this is this. And virtually every one of them said, I've, COVID's made me think about people a lot more. Yes. And I think, um, you know, there's just been something launched, um, which a podcast a couple of weeks with Joe was covered, was about um, mental health training. So, yes. you know, putting all that mental health training and being men mental health first aider, um, you know, and five years ago, they said, well, what's one of them? Um, yeah. But now we understand that. And I think so these sorts of people are becoming much more aware about the human side of people. And I know that's stupid. We should all be aware of that. But actually, it's, it's quite a new yeah. thing to do that. And for businesses to go, here is our domestic abuse policy. Here is our this policy for mental health. Here is our and people not being afraid to talk about it. Is that the biggest sort of blocker in the workplace or is it just not yeah. knowing the signs? And, you know. I wouldn't I think know. It, it is definitely, there's always pushback for anything. Whenever there's a policy, you always get people that are either scared of it or, you know, as humans, there are humans that don't like change. Absolutely, we're all different. Um, but I think it's how the business do it. So I've done a lot of educating, as I call it. I don't call it training because I don't give out certificates. But I educate businesses, shall we say, on what domestic abuse is. And I start that conversation. Um, and I think it's about, it's the same. Domestic abuse is like mental health was 10 years ago. People, if you said depression, people would shy away from it. If you said anxiety, people would go, oh, don't say that word. You know, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to deal with it. It's the same now for domestic abuse. There are some fantastic businesses that really are embracing the fact that domestic abuse does happen we can't change that but what we can do is give the support and give people the right tools to know who to signpost to for example um but i do think it is now a case of let's talk about it more because the more we talk about it the more we normalize it not that we should normalize it because we don't want it to be normal but we have to we have to start having those conversations we have to start asking people if they're okay we have to start saying you know that wasn't a normal situation that we just saw are you okay and you're never going to get a victim to speak up unless they feel ready but if they know that there's a safe space in the workplace for them to get support without the perpetrator knowing and for them to even just consider their options then that's what I'm trying to do and I think it's how you tackle that um, because and also the stigma around domestic abuse unfortunately people do think there are some old-fashioned views that if you're a victim of domestic abuse because you're not strong enough to get away from it why are you still there why haven't you left all of these myths that we need to challenge and we need to really start getting people to listen and understand what what abuse is and that it shouldn't happen and it's never the victim's fault how has this all been affected by covid so my my situation on this right is um and, and this isn't the case with me. So my, my wife and I, uh, we've lived at home for 18 months together. Fine. Yeah. We, we were both working in the same business. Fine. That's a challenge in its own right. That's not for today's podcast. But yeah. um, I've not escaped the four walls, really, of my yeah. home. So yeah. if I, you know, we're talking about in the workplace, identifying that, you you know, if we go into the office, people might go, oh, Ben's a bit down today. I wonder what's going on or yes. something like that. 
yeah zoom some people don't some of my team i'm not saying anything going on with my team but some of them don't turn the cameras on so you might not see the body language they're actually really yeah. upset and all that how does how's covid affected this yeah. work and all that side of the business if I'm honest, um, it's quite scary statistically looking at um, the obviously statistics that have come out since the start of COVID. It's created a pandemic within the pandemic. Um, and as you say, the victims are locked in with their perpetrators a lot of the time. So for businesses to even know what's going on, it's much harder. Um, there are some businesses that have put signs in place that if somebody is on a Zoom and they need support, they can put their hand up or they can type something in the chat. They can, they can actually... Um, communicate in that way shall we say but then on the other hand it can be really hard because you could have a perpetrator standing just off the screen listening to what's going on as well um and that's the kind of the you know the scary side of it you don't see any more than what's on that camera um i think businesses are becoming more aware of it and that's why a lot of businesses are trying to open up their offices even if it's for a couple of days a week for people to go in because then they can then create that safe space if somebody does want help. And I know that has been the case in a couple of the businesses that um, I work with or the, the charities that I, I support work with, that people have come back into the office and because they've been in the workplace, they've said, I really need some help. Um, but you can't do that on a Zoom. So some businesses I know have completely got rid of their offices and I feel for those people because if they don't have an office to go to, they don't have a space to get out or get away. And that's something for businesses to consider when they are looking and thinking about whether they need a workspace or not. Even just having a, a hub, shall we say, is really important for those conversations to be able to take place. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. Um, everyone's situation is different and everyone will mask it in a different way. Um, when I went through it, I became the best actress ever. I could hide things um, because I knew how to. And that's it. You learn how to kind of hide those um, the situation until you're ready to kind of talk, shall we say. But it's looking at the changes in people as well. That's the biggest thing. If somebody starts a new relationship and then they... Um, so worried about leaving on time again I talk about myself if the phone went at 25 past five when we were supposed to finish at half past five I would panic I would go into panic mode and I wouldn't want to have a conversation because I think oh if this goes over by a couple of minutes I'm going to be late home I'm then going to get in trouble for being late home and all the questions and then the arguments um so I would act completely differently whereas in the middle of the day I love a chat I would spend ages on the phone you know talking to my clients or candidates about what they've done at the weekend so I would actually change and after it came out what happened to me my colleagues said yeah you were really strange at the end of the day on the phone but they didn't even recognize that it was an issue whereas if they'd have had the education they may well have done um I think things as well like if you're on the phone to their partner we all know we take personal calls at work I do it my team does it it's normal but if someone is very yes 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 you know really dismissive and on the phone again it's just looking for those kind of things and um, the other more obvious things are um someone wearing a lot more makeup for example that doesn't wear it 
wear it normally. That could be that they're trying to cover something, but perpetrators are clever. If I'm honest, they're highly unlikely to give someone a black eye if they know they're going into the office. But it could be other parts of the body. So if it's a hot, sunny day, for example, when everyone's in, you know, short sleeve tops and someone comes in with a scarf and um, a really big coat kind of thing on, you might well be thinking, hang on, they may be poorly, you don't know. <laughs> but, you know, there could be a sign for that. But there's so many different things to look at. And when I'm doing my education with businesses, we talk through all of the different signs that there could be. Um, you know, spending all of a sudden, they don't talk about their family anymore or their friends. What? Why not? What do they not see them? Again, this could be someone's personal choice that they've just met the love of their life, and actually, they don't want to see their family or friends for a bit. That's fine. That is a normal situation as well. But it's questioning that because it could be that the perpetrator is stopping them from seeing people. Um, but again, I guess it depends on what level you or how much you know somebody to be able to recognize those. So it's not often the managers that will recognize it, it's the colleagues. And this is where I say education is good, but you can't just educate the managers. You need to educate everybody so that they can see in their colleagues the, the, the changes that potentially can happen. Uh, you saying about managers, I mean, I direct manage six staff, six, mm -hmm. seven staff, yeah, seven staff, six staff, one, we're trying to fill a position at the moment, so better get it right <laughs> in case that person fills and they don't think I'm counting them. But I mean, it's, um, it's, it's really hard to, you know, I, I have a, I had a team call this morning, it's Monday morning, oh. we have a team call, I, I see them for, uh, I see my management or leadership team for 45 minutes, and I see them uh the, the rest of the team for about half an hour 45 minutes and then i have one-to-ones with them once a month for an yeah. hour um mm -hmm. they're all mostly based overseas uh, my team and so therefore you know you 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 don't speak to, i mean i speak to them regularly on teams or you message on chats and things like that and i'm, I'm before any of my team listen and think i've got they've got i think and there's something else <laughs> no, 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 of no i think yeah, i think yeah. it's all great but it, you do sort of yeah, as a manager, you've got so much to cover with yes. them, or you've got so much going on. Where, where's this sale? Where's this? What's happening with this job? What's happening with this? Yeah. You don't have time possibly to recognise some of those signals, and plus the different countries, yeah. and you know, one of them is based in Norway, and it's cold, and we're sitting here sweltering hot. Yeah, so so clothing oil, things. You know, again, not suggesting yeah. anything of my colleagues, but it, it's it's a tricky one to read some of those signals. A hundred percent. No, I, I I do totally understand. It can be really really hard. But sometimes you don't necessarily have to be the one that reads the signals. If as a business, you are making it clear that you have a domestic abuse policy, you're making it clear that you will offer the support to somebody, it might be that they just come to you. Um, so recognising is one side of it, but actually as a survivor, myself when when i was a victim um had i have known that my business at the time had a domestic use policy they had the safe space they were going to make sure that everything was as best as it could be for me i would have come forward potentially if you see what i mean so i think you, there's one side of it is recognizing but there's also just being there and offering it and doing regular updates and making it clear when someone starts in a company that we have a domestic abuse policy. It's part of our induction. You talk through all the other policies, you show them the health and safety and you show them around where the fire exit is. Why not say to them at that point, we have a domestic abuse policy. If you ever need any support, um, you know, statistically, it happens to so many people that actually, you know, you need to be looking at that and they may well just come and ask for support. At, at which point you can offer the safe space. You can signpost them to the relevant people that have got, experience and knowledge in that area for them to be able to make those choices that can either give them their freedom back or potentially save their lives.
you know everything you're doing on this how does that work then tie back into obviously the cameo are using it as a vehicle and all that sort of thing yes. but now all the companies you work with is that now sort of will help you recruit as long as you go with this route as well or is that you know do you try and keep the two separate um there's a bit of both if i'm honest um some of the clients that i work with are obviously huge and they have legal teams that are already looking into it and they have their health and well-being um well under control and um, other businesses that we hadn't worked with previously have come to us about the domestic abuse and now we recruit for them because they know that a lot of the well not a lot but you know the profits that we make shall we say from recruitment is what funds me being able to go and do this um as well so they they love that and they were really keen to work with us um but we do we do talk about it when we go to meetings we do sort of say we are recruiters but we also can offer support in this but we don't push it I totally understand that everyone is on a journey and as much as I'd love to think that every business would have a domestic abuse policy in place, I also work in business and I know it's not as easy as that. And there's a lot of hoops to jump through in certain businesses. But every business that we speak to that takes the policy and puts it in place, it's incredible. We're changing lives. Um, we've worked with some really well-known businesses um, that have adopted the policy and it's making a difference. So we do keep it separate, but the team, the one thing I would say is I couldn't do what I do without my team. So they are all um, 100% behind Cameo and what we do. They all support, they all encourage businesses to, to take a stand against domestic abuse. And they do a lot of the giving back we do because it's not just domestic abuse. We do work with Form the Future. We go into schools and educate children on um, how to do an interview, CV writing. So we are very much built on, on giving back. And and that's a fantastic uh, element and something I much commend on the side of things. It, I will put some links in the show notes, but if people... I, I don't want to think about it. That somebody might be listening mm-hmm. to this who is in that situation. Yeah. That's a that's a quite sad situation to think of. But if somebody is in that situation or there's a business who wants to know more, how how can they go about it? And and where can they find the links, resources, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn as we've spoken about that. So Sharon Livermore on LinkedIn. Um, you can go onto our website. So Cameo Recruitment, that's spelt with a K. Um, and on there, there's a domestic abuse page. Um, so that tells you a little bit about what I do. And it's also got the policy to download. But what I would say is um, it's free to download, but it'd be really good to have a conversation um, with the people that are interested to talk about what we can do and how we can get people to start listening really and actually um knowing how to implement that obviously i'm an ambassador for the employers initiative on domestic abuse so i always point people to them they have a free toolkit they have many free toolkits and um, it's free to join up you get given a logo as well so you can then put that on your website you can then include that in your um, csr policies as well because you know giving back looking after your employees all of those things is so important and actually A lot of people do ask financially, is it a good thing to do? Of course it is, because um, unfortunately, domestic abuse causes absenteeism. It causes um, lack of productivity. So if you do want to look at it from that side, it will also have a positive impact. And I shouldn't say this because I'm doing myself out of a job here, but um, in terms of retaining your staff and attracting new employees as well, um, this kind of thing, having a domestic abuse policy and also having other policies, like you say, the mental health policies, um, all around wellbeing will really help attract and retain staff. Yeah, and uh, I, yeah, I would be sad to think so somebody would do it just for the financial reasons, but I think, it, I think it's just, as you said, yeah. you say, 
you know you were a survivor from it and yes. that's the important thing to that you're, you're here today and yeah and everything that goes with it that's more important than anything financially and sometimes i think uh businesses can get carried away by the financial return or some things whereas actually look after your people yeah, I think, you know, I think that is the thing. But unfortunately, there are some businesses that do measure themselves all on the finances. And um, if that means that they will put a policy in place and potentially change or save someone's life, then if they want to look at it that way, that's up to them because the outcome would still be the same. They could potentially save um, someone's life by having a policy in place. So I'd like to think that people wouldn't measure it on that. But um, even if they did, it would still be good to have those conversations with people um, and to get those businesses that do measure themselves on that to have these poli- have a domestic abuse policy in place um i will put it as i said i'll put a link to all that in the show notes so anyone can go and have a click on that but i think that's a fantastic place to end for the first half and we'll come back in the second and talk a bit more We'd like to welcome Arcare as a sponsor to the Business Takeaway podcast. Arcare is a German cosmetic brand with a vision to offer men and women all over the world and of all ages the ideal grooming routine. They only work with pure organic ingredients and are convinced that the best recipes for beautiful and healthy skin can be found in nature. Arcare UK are offering all listeners to the Business Takeaway podcast 25% off their orders by entering the code POD25 at their website arcare.uk. That's A-R-C-A-Y-A dot U-K. Thanks to our care for getting involved with the podcast, and we hope our listeners can take benefit of this great offer. Now, back to today's episode. So welcome back to the second half, talking uh, with Sharon from Cameo Recruitment. Uh, we've had a fascinating and um, really sort of uh, interesting talk about the first half about recruitment and then obviously the domestic abuse side, which I think is is very important about going forward. You've touched a little bit um, about how that's affected your life and everything that's gone through with that. Um, but, you know, what? how's that affected your sort of everyday takeaways about life? You know, the business takeaway podcast is meant to be sort of lessons that people have had in their career and their life that they take away every day. How has the Sharon of um, 10 years ago or before the event changed from the, uh, to who you are today? And what would your takeaways before the event would be to what your takeaways would be today? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think um, for me, living each day, as it's your last, which I know a lot of people do say is one of those things. But I think I'm much braver now than I was before. I think going through what I went through, where I experienced emotional and physical abuse um, and living through that and still being here to tell my story as such, um, it empowers me. So don't get me wrong. I'm human. I have feelings too. I get anxious. I get nervous. I um, worry about um certain things in life but what I do is I think going through what I went through has taught me that to look at things and go what's the worst that can happen so that's the thing I say to myself when I'm a bit scared of doing something um I've learned so much about public speaking and actually um presenting and things like that because I was terrified before I I remember the first time I went to a networking event when I first started in recruitment before I went through what I did and I was asked to do 60 seconds as they ask you to do stand up and do 60 seconds 
I had a piece of paper and I was shaking like a leaf. Honestly, if you'd have been there, you would have seen it flapping around. Um, and it was so scary. And I never really got over that until I went through what I did. And then I realized that actually, what is the worst that can happen? No one's going to laugh at you in a situation. Most people are really kind and caring. And if you are doing a presentation, as an example, and you say something wrong, you say something wrong. What's, you know, you just regroup and you start again. And I'm sure we've all experienced it on Zoom and things. People get terrified. But if it goes wrong, I've done presented on webinars where the, free, the, the screen's frozen and I'm going, okay, we're stuck on this slide. What do we do? And you have a laugh and joke about it. So I think I've learned to take myself not as seriously um, in some aspects, but put my focus and energy onto the things that make a difference to me. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing as well for me is putting my energy into the areas that I want to and actually what I believe in. Um, but definitely confidence has come from going through what I went through. I don't yeah I, I don't disagree I mean the, the I think we've also going back to what we we're saying earlier we all sat in front of these computers and and I went and did a I went to a trade show open day thing a couple of weeks ago and it was so weird I've you know I can present in front of 100 150 people to yeah. on the, the Webex and then or Zoom or whatever platform you're using and then I suddenly went in front of 150 people and I was like what can I say because <laughs> I can't I, and I knew my, my topic was absolutely fine I yeah. knew my topic backwards and all that sort of thing but it's getting in front of people again is going to take a bit of time oh. a bit of peak time for people I think that is the scary thing isn't it it's um how many people actually really enjoy presenting and speaking in front of people mm, they probably don't but people will do it some people will do it and push themselves out of their comfort zone um and I think that's what I do I push myself out of my comfort zone now um because I'm passionate about what I do and I really want to make a difference so I kind of think to myself I don't want to do it but actually I'm going to do it and you're right you know the first time I stand up in front of people and present I will go back to that nervous person again um I remember when I first after the first um, webinar or seminar that we did I was at the um is it the Guildhall in Cambridge I think it's the Guild, the big the big place in Cambridge the, the, the market square, Guildhall. <laughs> that's it Guildhall yep. market square. Yep. and it was the domestic abuse forum and there was the police there there was all of these different charities and um at the time the councillor for Cambridgeshire um had attended our webinar or seminar and she said she texted me and said do you want to come up on stage and I was like no 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 I was on my own none of my team were there and I just thought, you know what, I need to do this because I want to get my message out there. And I remember standing up in front of, I think there was 160 people, never been so scared, but I did it and it empowered me to continue doing it. But I know, yeah, the same as you, like you say, the first time you uh, have to get up in front of people and present, we'll go back to all of those emotions again. Yeah, you just haven't had this, you haven't had that fear or the, yeah. the oh, what's going to go wrong in that side of things. You can get your words muddled up and everything. Absolutely. It's it's a it's a it's a yeah it's a new it's almost like really getting on a bike again though isn't it I think you know, we we've forgotten a load of skills in the last mm -hmm. two months. No, I think that is the the scary thing as well. Um, it is quite easy to forget and lose confidence in things. Um, I find especially as I'm getting older as well. Um, I think when you're younger, you kind of just go for it and you're like yay. Um, in certain aspects, obviously. Um, but I think yeah, you do, there's a lot of skills that people probably haven't used for a long time and um, there's going to be a lot of people that feel those nerves again but if you're passionate and you believe in yourself then you can you have to push yourself through it I'm not going to quote every single podcast we've recorded but some of them are sticking my mind and one of the previous ones has said I'm more scared about the feeling of basically what it will be that I've not done it than I'm more scared about the thing that I'm going to do which yes. when you then think about it you know I think back to life 
things happen in my life and go, oh, I was too scared to do that. I mean, yeah. jumping out of a plane with a, with a parachute and things that I'm still not going to do, right? But there are some things, <laughs> business presentations and things I've gone, oh, I'm, I'm too, uh-huh. I don't want to do that. I'm too scared. And then I kick myself for having not done it. So I yeah. think that thing of, you know, it, it, it fits into that living each day and, and, and things like that. And But that's obviously pre the mm-hmm. pre the uh, what happened with you and everything what would have been your takeaways then and, and and are they dramatically is that sort of incident dramatically changed you i think so um i wouldn't say dramatically changed me um i think i've realized more so that we make the choices in our lives um and having that control over your own life is so important um and i never really fully understood that having the control over your own life made such a difference without sounding a bit silly about saying that but you don't realize until you've not got that control over your own life how much of an impact it has on you so I think I've always been somebody that has pushed myself I've always been quite driven I've always had a career I've always you know worked hard that's just in my mentality that's who I am if I give you know if I'm doing something it's 100% or nothing um so that hasn't changed but I think um yeah but the thing of not regretting as well like you say with the other podcast people that you've you've spoken to that is something I'm really keen on I talk to all of my family and friends about making memories so for me it is about making memories it's not about the the finances and things like that I would much rather go to the beach and take a picnic and spend the day there and make a memory um so I think that's the thing that for me has changed um and just not being scared of things that I probably was before and actually pushing myself and having that belief in myself. Because I think if I got through what I went through, then I can get through anything. Um, and so I use that to kind of empower me to, to keep moving forwards. And this probably is going to answer the the, the, the fifth question or the, the fifth topic to talk about is your golden rule. Um, yeah. What, you know, what is your golden rule? It's probably one of those many, those things <laughs> you just mentioned and we're going to go yeah. back over it. But are they those golden rules or is there something else you take as your golden rule? No, I think my golden rule, um, as we've covered quite a lot of the things that are important to me, but the one thing I live by is treat people the way that you'd want to be treated um, because I know what it feels like to not be treated in the right way and the impact it had. Fortunately for me, I am quite a strong person and I was able to rebuild my life and realize that it wasn't my fault. But there's a lot of people that go through not just domestic abuse, but any situation where people aren't kind to each other. And actually, if you wouldn't want to be treated that way, then why do it? So that for me is a very important thing. And I, you know, my children are brought up like that. My friends and family, we're all all the same in that sense um, and it's a really important thing that people just stop and think about their their actions before they do things um but apart from that I say yeah live live for the moment enjoy life and actually do the things that you want to do and don't be scared to do it because if you can sit there and say what's the worst that's going to happen and it not be terrible like you're not going to fall off the cliff and <laughs> things like that then then why not do it because you will regret I think later on not trying still not going to get me out of a plane with a parachute on I was going to say I, I, that's, that's, on my, uh, that's on my bucket list I'm terrified of heights oh. we should do it together there we go think of the travel no. oh, the no. <laughs> oh, no, I, there are some things I will do there will absolutely think, I'll do abseiling I'll do yeah. all that sort of stuff not but, plane. <laughs> there's a reason it's got wheels to land that's my take true, on it true um, yeah maybe I'll stick with you on that one <laughs> it's it's the thing my biggest thing is the lack of control so um, yeah. it's the lack of I, I'm a 
fine driving, appalling passenger. Um, I've got over my fear yeah. of flying, all those sorts of things. So it's the lack of there's nothing to hold on to if this goes yeah. wrong. That's that's my problem with, with no. I, to be fair, I'm I'm with you on that. I don't like heights. <laughs> Heights fine, not the most. It's not the plane. Fine. It's, it's the plane. It's the. It's ju- this is work. Fine. If the plane was on fire and was about to crash, I would get out of the plane. Yeah. But it's a working plane. Why jump out of it? What's the point? Never mind. We could go off on others. Um, slightly sort of. You know, we've done the golden rule. If if somebody was listening to this and was yeah. in a bad situation, what would you uh, say to them? And and what would you be? You know, you've been through it. What would mm-hmm. you be saying to them to help them? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good question. Um, so as you say, hopefully people won't be in that situation. But statistically, there's so many people that are affected that um, it is important that everyone knows what to do. I think the biggest thing is to make sure that they are safe, first of all. So the worst thing you could do is go and get leaflets and flyers and take them home with you for the perpetrator to potentially see, because that can really you know, cause issues, shall we say. Um for me personally, I put myself in danger. I left my perpetrator thinking that I was getting away, but actually I put myself in so much danger because I wasn't educated about that being statistically the time that most things turn really nasty, shall we say. Um, so I think it is really, really important that um, people know there is help out there and also understand that you are a victim and it's not your fault. Um it's about reaching out to the people that have got the tools to be able to give you the, the facts and be able to make those decisions that work for you. So everyone's situation will be different um, and the different support that you'll need and the different level will depend on the abuse that you're going through. But obviously there are the police who have all been trained now. I know a few years ago people didn't like going to the police, but they are trained and they are a really, really good support and will be able to help Um you have men's aid, you have women's aid, you have lots of other charities in the local area that will be able to support and help and give people advice and guidance. And this is why we campaign people to have safe spaces at work, because those people can go into the workplace and actually give them the support there and the tools they need to make those choices to regain control of their lives. And I think that's a fantastic uh sad but also fantastic place to end the podcast with what you said and and hopefully hopefully there isn't anyone out there be affected but if there is there is that support for them to go forward um now we come on to the rapid fire questions that i gave you at the start the rapid fire questions are turning not into the rapid fire questions i've yet to put a stop (laughs) i've yet to put a stopwatch on them um they're either or sort of type questions you mentioned a couple we'll see whether whether you (laughs) stick to your stick to your theory so um apple or android android all the way Ooh, and, oh dear! Oh no, is that, that against you? Uh, <laughs> I'm showing you my I'm showing you my Apple phone with my. Oh, I've got a Apple Samsung. I'm go. still that Android. Yep. <laughs> um, what social media? Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Oh, LinkedIn would be my favourite for work. Facebook for personal life. Beach or city break? Oh, um, beach. Yeah, beach. Just so you said you said you'd go and you'd like to go and sit on the beach and read a book or whatever. So I thought you yeah, were no, say, I think you... beach. I do like a little explore, but a beach would yeah, just uh, be the be the one for me. Town or country? Country. Uh, first class will save the money. Oh, oh um, I'd say save the money. That's all right. Um, morning, <laughs> morning or night? Um, night. Exercise is it important or not? Yes. But I don't do enough. <laughs> Most people have said that, don't worry. Um, innovate or improve? Improve. Challenge the status quo or not? Definitely. 
And if I'm at a bar, what is the drink that I'm going to buy you? Gin and tonic. Oh, I should have a tally. The gin and tonics are winning at the moment. Is it? <laughs> yeah, everyone's winning on that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, we had to stop this recording because my computer died halfway through. So um, thank you very much for your time, Sharon. It's been You're fantastic. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I, I hope somebody, if they are in the situation you found themselves in, can get something from this podcast and find Absolutely. out more. Um, I think any business, if anyone's listening to this and it's not got in their, their policies, they should definitely have a look at your website. And as I said, I'll send the link through. I think thank it's a fantastic you. thing businesses to do. But you're busy lady. I, I thank you very <laughs> much for your time, for joining us and hope it's been fun to be on board. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been really good to uh, to talk to you and to raise awareness more so of domestic abuse. So thank you very much. No problems at all. I'd like to thank Sharon again for being so open and honest to everything that she talked about. I hope that no one listening to the podcast find themselves in this situation that Sharon did, but if you did, I hope these words in some way can help you. You can find links in the show notes to Sharon's policy and other sources of help. Please do get it if you need it. It was also great to talk with Sharon about recruitment and all the challenges that we're now facing coming out of COVID. I hope you enjoyed the show. We've got some cracking guests lined up in the coming weeks, so if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit the subscribe, follow or like button on whatever platform you listen on. If you'd also like to leave us a five-star review, that helps with all the algorithms which helps us grow and get more guests on board. If you'd like to be on the Business Takeaway podcast, please do drop us a line to thebusinesstakeawaypodcast at gmail.com. That's thebusinesstakeawaypodcast at gmail.com. It just leaves me to say thank you for listening. Thank you for all the great feedback that we've had on earlier episodes. And we hope to have you join us on the Business Takeaway podcast again soon. Bye for now.